Welcome to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us as Deb talks with her guests, experts in their fields, as they share real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. Good morning, good morning. I am Deb Creer, and I am passionate about giving professionals the tools that they need to make themselves and their businesses as successful as possible. And as you know, we are dedicating the entire month of May to career planning. And we're having so much fun and learning so much. And it doesn't matter if you are someone just entering the job market, someone who's maybe been out of the job market a while and going back, someone who's transitioning careers, or eek, someone who didn't have the choice in what was happening, or maybe someone who even decided that they were leaving corporate America and wanting to do something else. We've been having so much fun, and we're adding to that today with our guest. So please join me in welcoming Pam Baker to our program. Welcome, Pam. Thanks, Deb. It's great to be with you and and your guest today. Great. Well, let me tell people a little bit about you. So Pam Baker is the founder and CEO of Journeyus, committed to helping young adults choreograph meaningful careers. She founded Journeyus after navigating her own journey in trying to find roles that felt as aligned on the inside as they appeared to be on the outside. While leading teams throughout her 20-year healthcare career, she saw a similar challenge for many of the young adults emerging from college and grad school, searching for fulfilling careers. Without understanding what was fulfilling to them, though, it was easy for them to end up in jobs that didn't click. As a mom of two daughters, her goal is to change the pattern for today's young adults, all in an effort to grow the ranks of spectacular leaders who gain the clarity to lead the lives they're meant to. Prior to Journeyus, Pam was a principal in life science consulting after her role as vice president of commercial operations at Omada Health, a leading digital health startup. Her experience spans from startup companies to multinational public companies, and she has deep leadership experience across multiple functional areas. Her career started in healthcare at Johnson & Johnson and Genetech, leading an array of commercial and cross-functional teams. So that just goes to show that our wonderful guest, Pam Baker, has tons of experience in this field. So again, Pam, welcome. Thanks, Deb. I I have to say it's, it's great to be with you. And I also want to take a moment to to thank you. I've had the opportunity to listen to some of your recent conversations with other entrepreneurs and really appreciate the insights and the tools that you've made us aware of to enhance our businesses in any number of ways. So I'm really glad to be a part of your community. Thank you. Thank you so much. And, you know, it is one of those things that you, you just said that keyword community. That's part of what I want to build with this, whether it's people who are listeners, people who, you know, social media connections, all those various things. It's, it's about community and it's really about community in our careers. You know, when we're trying to, you know, as I mentioned, start out, change, you know, all those various things, because we don't go it alone. And, Unfortunately, for many young adults, they haven't made a lot of those connections in order to have that community. And that's been part of what I've been having a lot of fun talking with my guests, you know, these these last programs as to how to build those. But you take it even a step further because, you know, it's it's one thing to have this community, but you know, what the heck do you want to do with it? Where do you want to go? And, you know, I laugh that I'm in my <clears throat> age and, and I'm still trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. But 
I love the fact that you have this great program for young adults to really start them on that path. Now, sure, they might change their minds, you know, multiple times, but why did you decide to start this company? Because it's so fascinating. Yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm glad you asked. And I think there are a couple pieces to that. And part of it is, why did, why did I start it and, and why now? And I mm-hmm. guess the, to the first one, over the course of my career, I have hired and managed and coached and mentored hundreds of people. Mm-hmm. And most of them incredibly talented. And in truth, that's been the favorite part of mm-hmm. the work that I've done. And along the way, I've become a little bit of a, a leadership and a career success junkie and, and kind of reading and, and learning wherever I can. Mm-hmm. And, and I began to see over, over the length of that time, you begin to see patterns. And, and I saw a really interesting one emerge. And one of my favorite quotes to help explain it actually comes from a somewhat unlikely source, and that's mm-hmm. LeBron James. Mm. Um, and he was asked, with all of his rigorous preparation and, and focus and talent, what is it that causes him to have an off game? Mm-hmm. And his response was, I get off my game when I start playing for others mm-hmm. rather than for myself. Right. And what I've seen is that this is just as true at the office mm-hmm. as it is on the court. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, the, the pattern was these really capable and driven people who would come into a role. And in most cases, they'd do a great job and they would move up the career ladder. And after a few or maybe more years, at some point, they'd wonder why they were doing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Now, if, if you've had or if you've known young kids, you've seen a similar phenomenon before at, at the playground. And right. so you envision this really tall play structure with the monkey bars that are along the top. They, they kind of scramble to the top so that they can kind of clamber across and they arrive all the way up there and they're out ready to go across and they suddenly look down. Mm-hmm. And, and all like, of a sudden, oh my they, God. Exactly. Uh oh. Uh-huh. <laughs> What the heck have I done? Mm -hmm. And I'm sure, Deb, throughout the course of the many, many people that you've spoken with, you've you've seen this and Mm -hmm. and your listeners have seen some of this. These are the folks that look like everything is going great on the outside. But when, when you talk to them, when you begin to kind of scratch a bit deeper, what you find is that there's this sense that something's missing or, or they're off track. Um, and, and I, I saw this really clearly in folks and, and I've always been curious about what's the root cause of things. And Mm -hmm. so as you're focused on the, throughout the month of May, helping folks make career decisions, particularly folks who are graduating or have just graduated, it's interesting to take a look at why universities were actually initially created. We think of them today as the place that launches individuals' careers, Mm -hmm. but way back when, their remit was actually to provide religious education. Right. Yeah, the very first universities were religious schools. Exactly, exactly. So they were providing some theoretical and theological and philosophical education, but 
you know, as, as I think everybody knows, the demand for monks has pretty significantly right. uh, off. <laughs> not, not enough monks to go around anymore. Exactly. So, so the universities have tried to help their graduates figure out how to make career decisions, but it's, it's just not their main focus. Mm-hmm. And there you've got groups within career services, within universities, like career services that are dedicated to helping folks get a job, but there are challenges with this. And, mm-hmm. and first is, is this obvious one that what's good for one person may be a terrible experience for someone else. Right. And, and so just because there are the, the best companies out there, according to someone else's, uh, you know, roster of uh, criteria, it may not be a good experience for another. Mm-hmm. And the other challenge is that you've got roughly a third to 40% of, of college graduates leaving without ever having visited career services. Right. And, um, and I'd, I'd even think that was a higher statistic. You know, I, I talked with several uh, people earlier on in this month that said, you know, career services frequently, you know, never got used. You know, many students didn't even know it existed. Yeah, I think, and, and of course that's going to vary, but I think that's, that's true. And mm-hmm. what you hear folks are saying, it's, they're not delivering the information the way I want it. Or the bigger challenge is just the ratio mm-hmm. that if you look on a national average, there's one career services professional to every 1700 students. Right. And so you can't possibly provide individual personalized support mm-hmm. to 1700 students over the course of a, a, a semester or, right. or of a, a year at school. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so what that has meant is that the focus tends to be on helping folks write resumes and interviewing really effectively. And career services in many cases recognizes that it, it needs support to, to help folks launch their their careers effectively, but they, in many cases, simply don't have the manpower. Mm-hmm. And so in an effort throughout the, the many folks that I've managed and mentored, and I've been mentoring students in, in grad school over the last year, it became really clear to me that folks were out. You talked about the community and, and many people now understand I have to make the best use of my network, but what making the best use of our network requires is that we're asking the right questions mm-hmm. about what's important to us right. and what do I want to know about particular industries or companies or roles, not just, did you think it was a great experience, mm-hmm. but what's important for me individually to understand and be able to assess. And so that was really the genesis to, to begin to create journeys, recognizing that this significant need existed and was causing people to jump from role to role mm-hmm. without satisfaction in the experience. And, and clearly something needs to, to change because we've got a population uh, of, of folks who are at work the majority of whom are not terribly engaged in the work they're doing. Mm-hmm. The, if you look at the Gallup statistics, they, they assess this on an annual basis, and they see that about two-thirds of workers in the U.S. are not engaged at work. 
And that can mean a number of things. That can mean they go to work and they sort of do what they're told. And right, they, they do the home. minimum. Exactly. Or it can mean they're pretty miserable at mm-hmm. work. And that's a whole other set of issues. And so the ability to actually create a, a workforce, a, a group of, of college graduates, young adults, folks who are in the first few years of their career, to enable them to identify what are the types of experience and roles that matter most to me is something you mentioned. I've got twin daughters, and so I feel particularly passionate about for them, as well as for the many, many people that I've hired and mentored over the course of years. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, when we go to college, and I don't care if it's you know, my generation or you know, the generations in between or the very current ones, typically, you know, a lot of times we go and, and we, we study what mom and dad tell us to, or we study what might sound interesting or, you know, all those various things. And I remember, oh, good heavens. It was probably, maybe when I was a freshman in high school. So, you know, way back when they didn't offer a lot of college degrees, you took those career planning surveys. Mm. And, you know, and I think mine said I would be a good teacher. Now, granted, you know, this was long enough ago that the, the options were different for women than they are today. Very different. Um, let's, let's be honest about that. But, you know, it, it, so it, it did kind of ask you some things about what you liked, but they, they didn't mean anything. Um, you know, and I look back at them now because at that point in time, I wanted to be an attorney and primarily because I thought, <laughs> oh, I argue well, you know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, and, you know, and then I figured out, ah, I didn't want to do that. But it was, you know, we, we do tend to push our kids, push ourselves, whatever it is, into those careers that maybe we think some of it is, you know, where are we going to make the most money? But a big part of it is, you know, who are we going to please? You know, is it going to make mom and dad happy that we got this degree? Um, you know, I, I am fascinated with, with, you know, the university process. Uh, you know, I, I have two graduate degrees and you know, it's, it's always interesting when you look at the things like the prerequisites. I still think, why did I have to take some of those prerequisites? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, uh, my algebra teacher swore up and down I would use algebra. No, I really don't think I've ever used algebra. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, all those various things. Now, granted, some of them really are good. I mean, you know, we do need to, to have people who are literate, who can do math, you know, all of those various things. But, a lot of times universities are just saying you have to take this prerequisite because we have required the last 50 years of graduates to take these prerequisites, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so they're graduating with these degrees and, and they really don't know what to do with them. You know, it's like you said, they've just kind of gotten there and, and they're done. And then it's like, holy schmoly, now what the heck, you know, what am I going right. to do now? Right. And I think there is, there things begin to fall apart when there isn't a translation of what this means Mm -hmm. in terms of the types of work experiences that may be of interest to you. Mm -hmm. And I think you point out a a great example of the assessments that you took and many folks take and get asked a series of questions and are then told, okay, you should go be a fill in the blank, a teacher. uh, And you're thinking, what? Huh? (laughs) <laughs> exactly. And, and then the question becomes, well, why? Mm-hmm. Um, and so while, and I've, I've talked to many, many college students and grad students over the course of the last couple of years, what I hear from them about those types of assessments is they can be really interesting, but not particularly actionable. Right. The question often is, so, 
So now what do I do with this? I think the other challenge is that to say you should be a teacher or a lawyer is a bit of a, a binary type of, mm -hmm. of recommendation because to be a teacher in one setting, to be an elementary or a middle school mm -hmm. or a high school or a college professor or teacher is entirely different in terms of the environment that right. you're in. Same right. for being a lawyer. Mm -hmm. and, and so that gets into one of our approaches that we use, you know, to begin with, rather than saying you should be an X. That is, that is not what we focus on. Instead, we work to understand the different dimensions of an individual mm -hmm. and help them really assess what are their values that will influence how they feel about the work that they're doing? What are their particular interests that, in, instead of saying, go focus on your passions, we help them really uncover what some of those interests and things that they're drawn to are. Mm -hmm. What are the, the skills that they use that allow them to make them, them feel strong? And how do you integrate across all three of those? Because what I've seen again and again is it's really the intersection of those as opposed to one versus the other that allows people to assess the kinds of, of careers that, that really rise to the top for them. Mm -hmm. And You know, I was, I was mentoring a gal in, in grad school and she was talking about having come into accounting out of her undergrad and was moving, interested in moving into healthcare after grad school. So mm -hmm. I, I said, well, that's, you know, a, a rather unusual track. Right, that's a pretty big shift. <laughs> what, what is it that makes you want to go from one to the other? And she said, well, growing up, I was always really good at math. Mm -hmm. And so I got... So I figured I should go to school in math. Exactly. I got told I was going into the advanced placement. And this gets back to your point about what parents think. Mm -hmm. And... I went to college and it was clear I was either going into economics or accounting and I went to a big five firm and you know what I realized? I hate math. Right. That I'm really good at it, but I don't enjoy using it. And so that's why we really, we find the power of the intersection across all three of those. And we also then work with folks on applying this idea of prototyping to their career. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you take your example and if your recommendation was to go be a lawyer, so instead of running and signing up for the LSAT prep exams, you could go and work for a summer in a law firm mm -hmm. or in a group that's uh, a public defender's office. Mm -hmm. Go spend a month there, do the work, understand the type of work they do, assess the kinds of people that you're surrounded by and the types of issues that you're working on. And how does that work for you? How right. are you engaged in that? Is that the type of work that you want to do? And what I have found in, in counseled people over the years is the more doors you can begin to close, the easier it is to begin to choreograph your path. Mm -hmm. right. And the, the sooner you can say, these are the types of projects, the kinds of people, the type of environment that I'm drawn to, then it becomes far easier to begin to piece together 
what you really want your career to, to look like and how you do want to choreograph things. Right. You know, and I love the fact that now universities really are, you know, and, and, and not just universities, trade schools, you know, anything along those lines, they really are encouraging if not requiring internships um you know and and you know and making the kids figure out yay or nay you know this you know and 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 then as you mentioned fine-tuning you know maybe it's you you really want to be a lawyer but ooh, you really did not like corporate law you know but you you had you know a more passion for say public defender or or something like that um and so that's where you know it's I love the fact that kids have those opportunities now. You know, we certainly didn't have things like that. You got summer jobs, but you got a summer job. You know, I worked for the Forest Service. That was not going to be my career. It was great fun. I was the only girl on the crew. Woo, that was really good. Um, but, you know, and even that didn't convince me that was what I wanted to do. And, and it really wasn't. I mean, you know, that was, it was great and it was fun as a summer job, but I knew that wasn't for me. Um, but, you know, the, the internships that are, are required now and then the projects and things that they have to work on, you know, the kids that are in sororities and fraternities and, and other clubs where they have to do community service and, and things like that. I think it's wonderful that they're exposing these these young kids, you know, these millennials, these Gen Zs now, I guess they are, yes. to, um, to things that, you know, they're not just saying, you know, we're not putting out cookie cutter uh, diplomas anymore. Right. I think you're exactly right. The, the more folks can get different experiences, the better off they will be. And interestingly, we're working with a few schools locally who have asked us to come in and provide our offering before folks are going through their internship so mm. that they begin to understand more about themselves. So once they have the internship experience, mm -hmm. they can take the, ooh, here's the part I liked, here's the part I didn't like, and put it into some more context so that, because as, as our name implies, I very much believe that a career is a journey. It's mm -hmm. not a destination. And folks will shift and ebb and flow in their careers and in companies and in different types of roles throughout, however mm -hmm. long they're working. And the more we can begin to understand ourselves, the more robust of, uh, of a picture, of a, of a three-dimensional picture we can create of ourselves to continue to make the better uh, decisions about the types of careers and experiences that we want to have. So mm -hmm. if I understand that I'm somebody who doesn't do particularly well in an overly structured environment, and I go and I do project management type work for the summer, and I walk away thinking, I'm not so sure that that was really all it was, you know, I was hoping for. When I understand then my own inclinations and preferences, it begins to make more sense mm -hmm. why something may or may not have, have been a fit. So right. what we find is kind of bookending the experience with some good understanding for folks of who they are and what they gravitate to and the types of values that they have allows them to really optimize the, the work experiences that they have, which I fully agree are invaluable. Mm -hmm. Right. 
You know, and I love that you focus on young adults, but what I see with what you do is that it can apply really to anyone. Um, yeah. You know, if we're, especially if you're, you know, I mentioned, you know, people going back into the job market, people transitioning from one career to another, you know, they can sit down and they should sit down and think, what do I want to do next? Um, you know, and, and, and for some people, you know, they really have a clear path and that's great, but I honestly don't know anybody that has, you know, has gone, I want to do this and, and, you know, go through here. Now the, the exception, you know, I, I should actually say my husband has worked for the same company his entire career, but mm-hmm. he has changed jobs and, and things like that within it. And, but that's what suits him best. You know, when, if he were to think of being an entrepreneur or something like that, oh no, you know, uh-uh, that, that just wouldn't appeal to him. Um, and so, you know, and, and he lucked out that he found that, you know, right away. Is it perfect all the time? No. You know, and, and, you know, I, I always love the people that say, it's not a job. If you love what you do. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I love what I do, but there are parts that I really don't like. Um, You know, now the nice thing is I can outsource a a good portion of that, but you know, yeah, there, there's always going to be some things that that you're just not happy with. And, and, you know, even if it's, you know, you you love 99%. Yeah. Every once in a while there's that like, Oh, really? I have to do that today. Yes. Um, You know, it's funny. My co-founder calls that what's your broccoli. Uh Now, yeah, I happen to like broccoli, Mm-mm. but Mm-mm. I think it's it's a great way for folks, particularly new to the work world, to recognize that every moment of every day will probably not be peaches and cream. Right. However, when you do have the 95% is the work that you mm-hmm. love and recognize what your broccoli is and as you have done, identify where you can outsource that, then then you're in generally in good shape. Mm-hmm. Well, and when you know those things that you don't like, you know, of course, what we tend to do is we avoid them. You know, so that's the people who are doing their invoices the last day of the month, you know, it's as opposed to doing them as they should have been doing all along. Um, you know, last month was hello tax day. And so, you know, how many people put off doing their taxes and their bookkeeping right up until the very end just because they don't like it. And so a big part of it is learning how to either, like we said, outsource or be <clears throat> grown up enough about it to, to do it as we go along. And of course, I say that as the person who puts stuff off. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it is something that you know, we, even my generation, you know, we, we wanted to do things that we cared about. And, and, you know, I'm at the tail end of the baby boomers. And so, you know, a lot of that was, you know, we were, we were brought up that we wanted to change the world, you know, and, and ours were the first really set of young women where we weren't going to school to get the MRS degree, you know, mm-hmm. now they still really pushed you towards teacher and nurse and, and things like that. But, you know, it, when I said I wanted to be a lawyer, nobody went, oh, no, no, you're a girl, you can't do that. <laughs> 10 years before, yes, they would have said, no, no, you cannot do that. And so we've, we've seen these shifts, but it's interesting now because I think Many of us in my demographic have a negative impression of millennials. I got into a big discussion on Facebook about this one time, um, not real long ago, where somebody said, you know, all millennials are lazy, worthless, and want everything handed to them. And I said, oh, I beg to differ. <laughs> you know, and, and I have no children, but I have talked to and worked with some of the most fabulous, motivated, knowledgeable millennials out there. Um, you know, several on this program. I love, you know, that's part of why I love this program is we've had some, some millennials on there who 
holy schmoly, they just totally astound me and amaze me. Um, and But I think millennials kind of do have this negative you know, interpretation, you know, we look at them badly when, you know, if anything, we should all be thinking, wow, you know, if only we could be them. Mm. (laughs) Indeed. You know, I I think, I think you're right. I, I, I think it is, the millennials have come to the workspace with a different set of expectations. And Mm -hmm. actually, there is, there's an Australian nurse named Bronnie Ware, and she spent more than a decade as a hospice nurse, and she Mm -hmm. cared for people in the last 12 weeks of their lives. Mm -hmm. Now, here I'm not talking about millennials for a moment, but Mm -hmm. stay with me. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, she, she captures the themes that emerge from the conversations of folks in the final weeks of their lives. And mm-hmm. her book's called Top Five Regrets of the Dying. And mm. what, what's interesting to hear is how very clear these folks are on what their regrets are. Mm-hmm. As, as they're aware, their, their lives are ending. Um, and their number one regret is that I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, mm-hmm. not the life others expected of me. Right. And this, I think, is something that millennials have actually figured out, mm-hmm. um, that they are very much looking for meaning in the work they do. And as many of us can attest, the, wor- the lines between work and life are increasingly blurring. Mm-hmm. And so what you're seeing from them is this unwillingness to settle for an unpleasant day at work, knowing that many of us bring work home with us. Mm-hmm. And, and, but that's, that's creating challenges. It's creating challenges for the folks who are hiring them and for the millennials themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what we're seeing is that there is an incredible amount of churn in the workforce because, again, we're not doing a very effective job of setting people up for success and making career decisions. And then they land in the workforce and realize it may not be meaningful or what they had hoped for. Mm-hmm. And so the Bureau of Labor Statistics pulls all this data together and they, they look at the, the years just post-graduation. And in the three years from age 22 to 24, what you see is on average, folks are holding three jobs in that three-year time frame. Mm-hmm. And about a third of them are only going to stay with an employer for six months. And so what that means, so there are two implications for that. There's the impact on the companies who are hiring and recruiting. Or right, recruiting putting a, a lot of money into that effort. Absolutely. And then you've got the individual who's going through all of that training, then getting up to speed and getting there and realizing this is really not what I want to do. And Mm -hmm. they've got one foot out the door and they're also doing interviewing and all sorts of things. And so it's, it's, it's not ideal on either side. And I think you're feeling frustration in both camps. And the reality is, as you mentioned, Deb, the work that we're doing is not real is not just for young adults and mm-hmm. as we move forward as as the company grows 
we absolutely plan to also expand our offering for folks later on in their careers. Mm -hmm. But the millennials have gotten to the conclusion that many others who have 10 and 15 or 20 years under their belts have gotten to that I'm not quite so sure why I'm doing what I'm right. doing. Mm -hmm. And so I do think they get a little bit of a bad rap for it, they, mm -hmm. but I, I think ultimately they've just, they've gotten to a similar place a bit sooner. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, we were disillusioned, you know, all those various things too. And in many ways we stuck with it. And, and I think in many ways it showed, you know, not that we deliberately sabotaged work, but if you, if you didn't want to be there, it showed. Um, yeah. you know, you, you weren't happy, you know, and, and obviously it depended on what you were doing. Maybe there were errors, you know, if you were, because, you know, I was like, eh, whatever I did the bare minimum. Okay. You know, so it's got mistakes. That's all right. Um, you know, it's, it, and, and how many times have we thought, well, it, it doesn't really matter. Right. Um, you know, it doesn't matter what we do or any of those things. My boss is just going to change it. You know, and, and, right. or, you know, I know they just gave me this project to make me do it. Um, you know, and, and, and it never occurred to us, you know, us as in my generation, um, that we should look at a culture of a company and, and you know, there, there really weren't, you know, you, you didn't think about that, you know, what culture company, what, you know, and so when people started thinking, okay, you know, what is that culture of that company? What is the company's values? Um, you know, are they, you know, do, it, is, is uh, work-life balance, which there's really no such thing, you know, we all say that, but no, you know, do they allow say for flexibility of hours? Um, can you work from home sometimes? Uh, you know, I, I had a guest on several months ago who he has a, an organization that they do trade show booths or not trade show booths, trade shows. So they, they manage the big shows. He has employees who have been with him now third generation. Wow. And that just baffled me because, and some of them, you know, some of them were very different levels, you know, some were management, some were not. I mean, all these various things. And a big part of that was the corporate culture, um, you know, and, and he bemoaned the fact that his company has gotten large enough that he does not know everyone now, um, mm. you know, but he empowers his managers to, to do things. So, you know, somebody is sick, you know, it, it, very ill as in needing lots of time off. Well, they adjust, you know, does somebody actually need a sabbatical, um, you know, and, and, and I love that concept. Now, obviously there are companies that cannot do that, um, you know, and, 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 but there are people who, if they were given a loosey goosey work environment, could not do it. You know, they, they need that structure. I worked with a woman like that one time. Um, you know, she needed rules. She needed to know what she was doing 10 minutes from now, this afternoon, all those various things. And when it was this flexible, oh, what kind of do what comes along? She couldn't handle that. Wow. Uh, you know, and, and so uh, we're not creating a culture of people who are just saying, well, this has to be absolutely perfect to me because they're going to, to recognize what fits them best. And that's what you are, are in, in helping them to do. Don't worry, that was a long way to get around to that. <laughs> no, it's, it's exactly right. It's, you know, we, we worked with a student who was a, a senior in college. And as I mentioned, one of the things that we focus on is interests. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that in just, in just mm -hmm. a minute. But one of the interests that she shared was singing karaoke. Mm -hmm. And for many folks, they would look at that and dismiss that as quickly as it comes to their mind. Because See, I thought, ooh, public speaker. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. and, and so 
the, I think the challenge is many of the interests that we have, if we don't see an obvious economic value proposition or a way to make money mm -hmm. or have a job out of that, we tend to dismiss it and not think much of it. Mm -hmm. And so what our coach was able to do is then pull out from her, what is it that she loves about karaoke? And right. she talked about everybody kind of being themselves and having a good time together. And the coach was able to give her some things that she could look for in an interview to assess the type of people that she was going to be working mm -hmm. with. Would those be people who would get together and go out socially together as opposed to, you know, I show up at my desk, I do my work, I don't really talk to many people, and then I go home. And people can be perfectly happy doing those. But if you're the person who really values the social interaction and the getting together after work, then that's probably not going to be your ideal environment. Mm -hmm. And so one of the the favorite offerings that we provide to folks who go through the journeyist process is not only do we then sort of synthesize what they've shared around their values and their interests and their strengths, but then based on those, we give them some questions that they can then ask of an employer mm -hmm. to understand then how well that type of role or hiring manager or environment is likely to fit for them as right. opposed to always feeling as though your employer assessing me uh, prospect, mm -hmm. it puts them in the driver's seat right. to begin to be able to assess, hey, yes, it's a great job. But is it a great job for me? Is this a, a good fit for mm -hmm. me? And that allows them to feel empowered and have the tools that allow them to make decisions that really align with who they are and what mm -hmm. matters to them. Right. Well, you've created this great tool called Vision Framework. Yeah. And let's, you know, you, you've alluded to it several times, but let's walk someone through it. You know, so, so you're talking with, say, a group of, of, you know, seniors or graduate students. How do you really walk through that process with them? Yeah. So the, the vision is an anagram for the six different components that we focus on. And I've touched a bit on the first three. So mm -hmm. we want to understand what are the, the values that you really hold dear? And as you think about your values, in many cases, those are the things that you stand for. And when they are violated, you may get angrier than other people think is typical or quote unquote normal. In my case, my values are fairness and authenticity and recognition, mm -hmm. which is why journeyist is so important to me because it really is about allowing people to be their authentic selves and, mm -hmm. and to thrive. And the fairness piece is about then offering it to young adults as opposed to waiting until folks are, you know, 20 or 30 mm -hmm. years into their career. So that's the, the V of the vision. The, the I stands for interest. And this gets back to what are some of those experiences that lit you up or really rise to the top mm -hmm. as you think about your 
best times or events, what are those and what are the common themes that, mm -hmm. that exist there? The S is focused on the skills that you use that allow you to feel strong in doing what you're, you do. And the I is where we integrate across all three of those. And so we have folks go through some assessments that tap into their values, their interests and strengths. And then we pull those, to, they, we ask them to pull those together to put together their mission statement. And, and we integrate across all of those and set them up with a, a coach one-on-one -on -one who can then identify where are those themes that are popping out and where are the disconnects and what might be going on between some of those disconnects. And then from there, and one of the attributes for all of our coaches is that these folks have business experience themselves. So they understand what it's like to have interviewed and not gotten the job and networked their way through an organization. So they work with folks on then based on what's come up for them and what their objectives are, working with them on some tangible next steps to help move them forward in the process. And the O and the N of vision focus on, so how do you orient yourself to the outside world? And again, this gets back to your point of community. Now that I know more about myself, who are the people? How do I orient myself and then make use of my network, which is the end piece, so that I can then begin to plot my trajectory, use this prototyping approach of getting some early experiences that can give me more insight into what I gravitate to and propel me forward towards career and job opportunities that work for me. And so that's the, the individual experience from our kind of core product. We also have various seminar offerings that take that, those insights and allow folks to use them in a few different ways. Uh, we have, one of my favorites is what we call the, the storytelling seminar. And that came out of an experience that I've had as I mentioned, I've been mentoring these grad students and I would talk to them for 45 minutes each. I had never met them before. And so I would say to them, so tell me a little bit about yourself. And I would get a whole list of bullet points. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you, Deb, it didn't stick. No, I, I, honestly couldn't, I couldn't tell you one person from another. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was getting frustrated by the experience. And I talked to this one woman who told me a story. And she told me about the experience of having started in her career. And three months later, her manager moved on to take a different role. She was then given her own as well as her manager's responsibilities. And she was in the financial services arena. She was working in the mergers and acquisition area in healthcare. And she talked to me about the different types of healthcare organizations that she was focused on and the impact of some decisions that were made on her as well as her colleagues. She, she, she told me the, the, what happened mm -hmm. and there were highs and there were lows. And it got me really intrigued about and you know, we all know about TED Talks and about the power of story. 
And so what the storytelling seminar focuses on is how can you, now that you really understand your values and your interests and your strengths and how they integrate, how can you tell your story in a way that it resonates for a hiring manager and allows you to really stick out because bullet points, data points, talking in PowerPoints simply don't. You're one of many, Mm -hmm. but you have a story. We all have a story to tell. It's identifying what that is and identifying at the root who we are so that you can really bring your story to Mm -hmm. life. So that's one of them, but one I'm I'm particularly excited about because I think it holds all sorts of opportunity for people to really get out who they are and what makes them unique. Right. Well, I mean, you know, you, you think of the ones that we remember, you know, the ones like the, the little girl who is going to become a doctor because she lost a sister due to cancer. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and you remember that. Now, you know, she might actually find out that's really not what she wants to go into, but that's the start of her story. And, um, you know, and, and, and we do, we remember those things. But if somebody, you know, if, even if we're just talking with somebody, if they give you the bullet points, you're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Um, but if they tell you that story, that's what engages us because we either empathize with it or we are sympathetic or we put ourselves, you know, we're, we've been in that position. And so then we bond with them or we might think, oh, um, but that's okay. You know, if you know it's not going to work out, it's better to know at the start. Absolutely. And I would argue that that little girl who says she wants to, to be a doctor because mm-hmm. your dad was affected by cancer, mm-hmm. I, even if she decides med school isn't for her, there's probably something there. Right. Yeah. That, there was something. It, it'll be a compassion that she has for others. Exactly. Um, yeah. Exactly. Um, you know, so, so I, I touched on this, this interest piece, which I, I particularly love. And one of the reasons I love it is because when you look at people who are in the middle of, of their career and you track back to some of the experiences that really resonate for them, it is amazing to see the correlation. So I did this Mm -hmm. with a group of colleagues and friends a number of months ago. And so I went around the room and, and said to folks, so what was one of your favorite experiences from childhood? And so we had one woman there who talked about playing with her Barbie's hair. And now she's a master hairstylist Mm -hmm. and she owns several salons. Mm -hmm. We had a woman who loved playing dress up and she has now created this styling system Mm -hmm. where people get to be seen for who they are and not just what they're wearing. Mm -hmm. We had a woman who loved climbing trees And she's now a health coach who teaches people to get out and spend time in nature Mm. and eat organic food. And we had another woman who liked being outside in the moonlight. (laughs) She loved dancing through the streets. So I hope she lived on Mm -hmm. cul-de-sacs. She has a business that teaches corporate employees diversity through dance. Mm -hmm. 
And so it is incredibly powerful when you give yourself the freedom to roll back the tape and remember some of those experiences. I'd be curious if you have one, Deb, that that stands out. But when you begin to think back to what those experiences were, and it's not always a straight line to what that will mean in terms of career decisions, but in many, many cases, there are important threads to tune into that allow people to see who they are and the the job and career decisions that they're making in a really different way. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and, and for many people, I mean, there's a, a huge difference between job and career, you yeah. know, and, and, and I think, you know, <coughs> excuse me, we all have had jobs, you know, because we need to pay the bills and, and all of those things. But, you know, to, to have that career that then takes us through, I think that's, that's very different. And, and, you know, there are many people who really do just have jobs and, yes. and that's, you know, a hey, kind of sad, but that's also their choice, you know, and, and maybe they're doing that because they're raising their kids or, you know, whatever it is. And so that's, you know, we're, we're not saying that that's a negative in any way, but you know, your career really is something that, I think a lot of people don't give a lot of thought to. We fell into it. You know, we kind of mentioned that at the start. We did it because somebody else told us that was what we should be doing. Exactly. And I think there is so much to be said for the importance of feeding and caring for your career Mm -hmm. and feeding and caring for your network. Because most of us will have, on average, we're going to have 12 jobs over the course of our career. And you're right. We can go and show up and and just do it and be part of that two-thirds of Americans who are not terribly engaged in the work that we're doing. Unfortunately, though, when you begin to actually pull those groups apart, there's roughly 16% of Americans who are actively what Gallup refers to as disengaged in their jobs. And these right. are the folks. And that's a negative. That yeah, is exactly. Mm-hmm. That, those are the folks that bring all of the rest of us down. Mm-hmm. And, you know, companies are, are tuning into this because they see that that group alone costs them somewhere between 450 and 600 billion with a B dollars mm-hmm. annually because of, the effect on everybody else and mm-hmm. bringing in an absenteeism and just not getting work done. Mm-hmm. And, and so you think about not just the, the economic toll, but again, as we think about the lines between work and l- the rest of life blurring, those are folks who are bringing that home and, and in many cases are likely not enjoying the rest of their lives if, right. that, if they're that miserable mm-hmm. at work. And so right. the ability to, to turn this around and have people think about then how do I bring my whole self and how do I show up as my authentic self at work is a really powerful shift to be able to make. Mm-hmm. Well, and it was funny because when we started talking about this and we were looking at this, my very first thought that popped into my head was, well, this is kind of selfish of these people to want the job that works best for them. And then, of course, my, my correct brain kicked in. I don't know if it would be right or left and think, but the employer should want the best employee too. 
Um, you know, for exactly what you said, you know, I don't want people working for me who are there because they have to be, you know, I want them to be working for me because they want to be there. Um, you know, and, and not because they want that paycheck, you know, yeah, but you know, I, you know, you want them to be there because it's something that they enjoy doing most of the time. Again, you know, it's, this isn't, Hey, if it's, you know, you're, you're going to love it all the time, but you know, it's as as the employer, you want your employees happy. So you should, you know, you should want them to have gone through this whole process of figuring out what their values are, what are their interests, you know, what are their strengths. You know, let's match the best to the best. Exactly. Yeah, and I think that's so true. We were working with an employer who's got a group of individuals that go through a rotation program within the company. And we're offering journeys to them to help them identify where might be the right matches for folks to get some experiences. Mm -hmm. and, and part of that is, as you say, the employers care, particularly large employers who want to hire and retain employees for many, many years, mm -hmm. ideally through different parts of, of their experience, through their, through ten, through their tenure. Um, but in any role, it can be really confusing to figure out, I'm not sure why I like this mm -hmm. or why I don't like this because there are so many factors. Mm -hmm. And we've found that the clearer you can be about what an individual gravitates to and what resonates for them, then it's easier in all of those different experiences to begin to make sense of why I'm enjoying this one, why I'm not enjoying this one. And rather than throwing the entire experience out, there are ways to then think about, oh, it's this part of my work that I'm not enjoying. Mm -hmm. Is there a way for me to carve that out right. and do more of the other pieces mm -hmm. that I really enjoy? Mm -hmm. Well, and, you know, I, I mentioned that a lot of us have these negative stereotypes of, of millennials. And as I'm thinking through this process that you're having these young adults go through, I'm thinking, wow, what you're doing is you're really making them take responsibility for themselves and their career. You know, and, and so how can we see that as a negative? Well, we can't. Um, you know, and, and it really is making them sit down and think, what is my vision? You know, what are my values? You know, what are these various things? And, you know, and, and, and some of it is going to overlap. I mean, your values, you know, you get them from your parents, you know, or, or, you know, the people around you, all those various things. But, you know, we, we tend, you know, as I said, we think of millennials as, you know, they're, they're, they don't take responsibility. Well, this is the exact opposite of that. Yes. You know, it's, it's funny. I just I read this great piece last night at Tim Urban, uh, wrote this very lengthy but but interesting article in his Wait But Why blog series. And he talked about, the his focus was on making career decisions, and he talked about the role of influences. And he, he asked this question, do you treat the words of your external influencers as information? And those are the ones that you hold and you consider by an authentic inner you that you've decided to embrace. Mm -hmm. Or are your influences themselves actually in your brain masquerading as the inner you? Mm -hmm. And I thought that was a really interesting way to think about it. Are you looking, are you truly taking it as an influencer where you're incorporating other feedback 
with your own perspective? Mm -hmm. Or are you taking what you hear from others and saying, okay, that's how I should think about it. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you, I have had many, many coffee conversations with people who have asked to, you know, get my perspective or pick my brain. And I can tell the difference between people who are writing it all down of this is how I should think, or this mm -hmm. is what I should believe. And those who are taking it as, okay, I hear what you're saying. Let me kind of filter that through my own worldview mm -hmm. and allow me to figure out where I want to put this feedback. Mm -hmm. My feedback is mine and it shouldn't be yours. Right. It should be, you should have your own perspective and view that mine can influence but not become. Right. And I do think that that's the danger as folks head out and make career decisions. I, I wrote a, a blog post a few weeks ago about why I left two of the best companies to work for. I've mm -hmm. worked for a couple of them and had a great experience, but at some point they weren't my best companies. They were best companies as perceived by others. And so you have to be careful about how you're making these decisions. And I firmly believe that the more informed you are in yourself, then the better you can then make those decisions to choreograph a really meaningful career. Right. Well, holy cow, Pam. We only have just a couple of minutes left. This really has been fascinating. And, you know, and, and I so wish that it had existed when I got out of college because I had a degree in social science. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and I don't think I've ever used that. I mean, you know, it's, it's generic enough that sure, I have used parts of it. But, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's, and even at that, I have an MBA and then I have a master in communication. And, you know, it's, it's still the what do I want to be when I grow up type of thing that goes on in my head every once in a while. So, um, you know, I, I love this. I love the, the concept that you have. So tell people how they find you and connect with you online. Great. Well, we have, you can go to our website. So www.com journey so i'll spell that out because it's uh you won't find it in webster's it's j-o-u-r-n-e-o-u-s.com uh and you can find me on linkedin pam j baker uh, as well as on facebook and and twitter so uh, yeah, you can find me through the normal means and we'd love to chat with folks, you know, kind of regardless of career stage as, as you shared, we're focused on young adults, but certainly also have gotten a number of requests from folks a bit later on in their careers mm -hmm. and certainly happy to, to chat with those folks as well. Right. Because, you know, it, it is a journey as, as we go through our careers. And, you know, it's, it's something that some of us change many times. Some of us change, you know, once or twice. But why shouldn't we be happy at it? You know, that's, I think that's, that's kind of one of the saddest things is when I look at somebody and think, wow, they just really don't want to be here. Yeah. <laughs> you know? and, and it doesn't matter what it is, you know, whether it's a fast food worker or an executive in a company. I mean, you look at them and go, they don't want to be here. That's that's just something that, you know, we can and should be doing something about. Yes, I agree. And that's exactly what, what our focus is. And I will say, if we can make a small dent in it, which we have every intention of doing, then that to me is success. It's the individuals that we work with really finding their understanding their authentic selves so that they can create meaningful careers because it has tremendous power 
for them as well as for the rest of us. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, I am Deb Creer. I've been having a fascinating time talking with Pam Baker of Journeyus. And until next time, everyone have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us next time for more real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.